There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to another episode of Telling Everybody Everything. It's nearly Christmas. I will not be taking a break because actually Christmas is the least busy time of my schedule where I'm most available to do the podcast. So wherever you are, whomever you're with, I hope that you are having a holiday that is minimum in arguments, political discussions at the table, big on gravy and sprouts, festive cocktails, whatever makes you happy this holiday season. My mom is landing tomorrow. My sister Carrie and her husband Alan, my brother-in-law, are also coming. And it's tricky because... Last Christmas, I had a five-day-old baby, and I didn't want anyone to hold the baby. And then at the last minute, Violet pestered me because she she really, it's sweet. She loves having her family around, and she likes lots of adults to play games with her, stay up and do what-do-you-meme and card games and Yahtzee. She likes the attention of a big family, and I feel like I've taken her away from that by raising her here in London with no one. But um, I relented. I was like, fine. Grandmother and Abe, that's my mother and her husband, can come. But no one shall be holding my baby. I have a rule about newborns. You might have read about it in my book, The Audacity. I know you've been snapping that up for all your friends and family this Christmas. It's not too late. Um, It's really not too late because I'm releasing this Friday. If you ordered it on, um, you know, next day delivery online, it would be here Saturday. Some places deliver Sunday. You could even get it Christmas morning and pass it off. No, they probably don't deliver Christmas morning. Scratch that. But anyway... When Violet was born, my parents through, you know, this is the thing. I'm very honest about my family. They have many strong suits. They have a few specific shortcomings. I don't blame them. Like everyone carries around trauma in their lives. My mom and dad had a very acrimonious divorce when I was about 15. I don't even know. 14, 16, around there. Maybe it lasted the span of those years. I don't care. I'm happy they divorced. At the time, I was happy they were divorcing. They were a terrible match for each other. But they really didn't handle it well. And it taught me when I left Violet's father, one of the greatest achievements of my life, remember, is a man I was never married to. But I left, and that was tough. It's always tough to have any breakup. Um, I, I learned that there's no place for animosity. You just be nice, move on with your life. It's fine. You don't have to win every battle You just keep your head up, remember who you are and who you represent, proceed with dignity, and karma and life will reward you. There's no need to be petty or hold a grudge. Who cares? And I thought of my parents during that time, and I went, you know what? I'm glad that they fought so much because they taught me that it's not worth doing that. So do we spend Christmases together as a family? Absolutely not. I think the only time in the last 25 years since their split that my parents have ever been in the same room is at Carrie's wedding maybe eight years ago, sorry, Carrie, 10. I don't know when she got married. 2015, I think, is a pretty good guess. And they just hate each other. And if given the opportunity, my dad probably would slag off my mom. And my mom sort of doesn't slag off my dad, but you know she doesn't like him and she'll bring up things about the past sometimes. Like there's still acrimony there, whatever. When Violet was born, my parents had been split up for a decade and they both descended on us in London 
and it became this mix of aggressive and passive aggressive scorekeeping of who's going to spend the most time with the baby. And I had to juggle a newborn between like Airbnbs, well, whatever they were called at the time, I guess just B&Bs, traditional bed and breakfasts <laughs> and pubs and bring my newborn out of the house to like see my dad and his wife and then back to the house to spend time with my mom and then out to a pub. Like I hated it. And I just thought, I just had my first baby. Like it's a major life event and a traumatic, like physical. It's not that physically traumatic when you're 25 and when you have babies like me. I got a wide pelvis. They slide out of me. Um, like frosting off a cake that's not cooled properly. That was the best sort of metaphor that I could come up with then. Simile. Um, and it just was miserable. And I just thought, fuck that. And so since then, my rule has been, and, and luckily I didn't have another newborn for over a decade, but I said, no one's coming near me when I have a newborn. Just let me nest with my baby, whatever. But it was Christmas. Violet wanted her family around. Fred was getting friendlier all the time. I thought, yes, I love my mother. I love her husband. Let's have them around. And my mom did hold the baby a few times. And it pissed me off, but I allowed it to happen. I was like, fine, because I had Fred. I needed to pay some, him some attention as well. <laughs> but ultimately, you know, and our babysitter, Miriam, who I love very much, she's from the Philippines. And I think it was on her mind all the time. She's like, where's your mom at? Like, it's weird for them in uh, any South Asian or like culture that's non-Western, like that your many female family members don't descend on you with meatloaf or whatever food. And she was just like, where are these women? And I'm like, I like to be left alone. I just want to be alone with my newborn for like a month. And white people are strange. We don't look after our elderly. We stick everybody in a home. We hate each other. Like, we're very weird. I know that. But uh, it's just our way. And so I don't have a newborn this Christmas. And Violet, once again, wants people around. And so I was like, fine. And so Carrie and Alan are coming. And then my mom gets on the phone and she's like, well, Carrie said you changed your mind about having people visit for Christmas. I was like, I didn't change my mind. She goes, well, if you desperately want me to come, I'll move things around. I said, no, I don't desperately want anyone to come. Do you want to come? She's like, well, if you want me to come. I'm like, listen, my go-to position is there's something about having guests that I love, but that is also like slightly, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think actually during our reality show filming, I realized what it was. There's absolutely nothing wrong with my mother. I love my mother. I look up to my mother. I think she's very talented and unique and successful. And she has a Christmas album out right now. You can find it and download it. Um, it's by Jewels Says, J-E-W-E-L-S Says, the same name as her podcast. It's called I Will Be Drunk for Christmas. I'll Be Drunk for Christmas. She's rewritten the words to some classic Christmas songs. Um, that really reflect her upbringing. I mean, it's traumatic. It's triggering to listen to for me in a way because it's like, oh, all this stuff's quite sad. It's a dark album. But a lot of people f have dark, you know, nostalgia about Christmas and that's what they want to listen to. And they're tired of, oh, rest ye merry gentlemen. So fine. She didn't remix that one. But uh, <laughs> it's a great album and she's a very talented woman. But I feel like when I'm around her too much, it infantilizes me. Through no wrongdoing of my mother's, I just turn into Violet when I'm around my mom because I haven't lived with my mom since I was around Violet's age, a bit older, but like I was a teenager when I left home. And it's like, I just think there can only really be one matriarch around at a time. And I want everyone to be comfortable and I want everyone to be happy in the house and I want everything to be clean and it's never that way. And then my mom will be like, well, there are loads of sticks in the garden. Bobby should be picking up those sticks. Bobby, 
Fetch me your gardening gloves and some twine. I'm heading out into the garden to pick up the sticks. And then Bobby feels like, fuck, I should. Oh, what was I thinking? Leaving all those sticks. And then Bobby has to stop what he's doing and go find gardening gloves and twine and like get that from my mom. And what if he can't find it in time? And then she's out there picking up sticks and we feel bad about ourselves. Do you know? Like, it's lovely to have a guest who helps. But at the same time, my mom will be like, where is the quesadilla maker that I left here on my last visit? Where are my Mexican spices? Where are they? And I'm like, I just threw them away. I don't know. I don't know. I think in my life, I just have a lot of people asking me questions. <laughs> and I and my mom is like a tip-top host herself. And I can never be that kind of host. So I'm really looking forward to Christmas. <clears throat> Carrie is actually a great guest because... She doesn't really help. She just drinks. And because she's drinking, I don't really feel an obligation to keep anything tidy for her. She'll like fall asleep on the main living space. Like she and her husband will just sleep on our main couch where there's loads of traffic and people, kids playing. Like she'll get hit with a ball, stay asleep. She doesn't care. And Carrie comes with important skincare knowledge. And she lets me pick um, blackheads on her shoulders. And she will do the same for me, though I have very few. I hope to find one this year because it is a soothing ritual. Speaking of skincare, I went to skin design at For Carlos Place in London near Mount Street, I think it's called. It kind of, you know, near Mayfair. It's the Matches Fashion Building. There was a wonderful lady called Fatma who does bespoke Medispa, like curated facials there. And I absolutely loved it. I had a wonderful experience. Her room smells exactly right and has live plant life in there, really soothing music. And I feel like maybe it's just because I'm old now. I'm 40 years old. And I am considering, like, what else can I do that's more invasive than just facials? Because at some point, guys, I'm going to have to Sharon Osbourne this shit. And I could drop some other names that would shock you. But loads of people, celebrities who are only 50, celebrities that you know, Um, from catwalks and coke campaigns and more, who I think are doing a little bit of surgical stuff to their face to help them. And they look great. And I don't fault them for it. And I asked you last week what you thought about Oprah being transparent about her use of the weight loss medication Ozempic. And a lot of people felt weird about that. Uh, But most of all, like the overwhelming response was like, just do what you want to do. You don't owe it to anyone. You don't have to tell us what you're doing. Some really interesting responses that we'll get into later. But I I think the same is true with plastic surgery. In a way, I wish the Kardashians, for example, would just tell me what they're doing. Because I think the worry, the the danger is that people know they're doing something. They want to emulate the way they look. And so they do it on the cheap and they take risks and they guess and they're wrong. Someone might look at Kim's like really snatched jawline and be like, oh, she's probably got bunch of filler in her chin or maybe a jaw implant. I'm going to go do, and that's not what she has at all. I mean, according to me, my guess. But um, when you're 40, you don't get just a relaxing facial. When I was 25, maybe 27, and I started getting a few facials here and there. Actually, the first facial I ever had was when I was hostessing in a greasy restaurant. I was 16 and my mother got me a great facial. And I was like, even then I knew I was destined for like, you know, financial security because I was like, I have to be in a position in my life where I can get facials. I loved it. And they did extractions and it was really hydrating and there was a clay mask involved. And that's all gone out the window now. They see me coming now and they get out like painful lasers. It used to be like, oh, I'm just going to leave this steam on your face for a bit and then do this 
hydrating lavender clay now it's like Catherine, we're about to trick the deep layers of your skin through radio frequency into thinking they've been in a fire we want to create damage we want to create injury so that your skin panic produces collagen and we can get you rewind the clock back to looking 38 and i'm like what all this for 24 months and they're like yes it will be worth it. And then they roll a derm abrasion shit all over. Like every facial that I get really hurts now. It'll be chemical peels. It'll be microderm abrasion. It'll be all of it. It'll be ultrasound. There's nothing that hurts more than high food, which is high intensity frequency ultrasound or something. I don't know what it stands for. I never want to know. I had three courses of it at a place near me that's very wonderful as well called Cheek Medispa. And I think that stuff is good. I think it's good, but it, it does really kill. It hurts. You have to take paracetamol before you even go in. And you can't use numbing cream because it's deep layers of your face. So it's like elastic bands snapping the roots of your teeth. It fucking hurts. And that's why women are tough. Like everything hurts now. Everything. I had a massage. That hurts. My back hurts all the time. Do you know, because I'm an old mom, I'm 40 with two small kids, I try to creep out of their room after the, I've got them finally to sleep. And do you know what wakes them up? It won't be a siren outside in London. It won't be like a drop something. It won't be the light. It won't be the door. It is the cracking of my joints. I'll roll off the bed and my shoulder or knee will be like, and all of a sudden both kids are like, grandma, are you up? You've been taking your Volatrol or, you know, I don't take any arthritis medication, but it's knocking at my door. This is why, I don't know. Don't have kids too young, but... I mean, Mother Nature does you a favor when she shuts that off, I think, at like 45, I don't know. Menopause will be a beautiful, sweet relief. And I hope I don't offend anyone by saying that. If you have early menopause or you're struggling with anything to do with uh, pregnancy or the shape of your family, then I do apologize. But listen, there is life out there, different ways to have kids. There is a, a version of yourself that doesn't have kids. And sometimes I slip into a little fantasy, though I love Fred and Fenna and Bobby, and I would never, ever change our family situation for anything in the world. But sometimes I think to myself, ooh, if it were Violet and me, where would we be today? I just, think, I just sort of dream, daydream out the window for three minutes and go, yeah, Miami. We would be, <laughs> we'd be having so much fun. So, I mean... That bizarro other uh, dimension life of mine is an amazing one, and the life I'm living now is an amazing one. I'm about to make a lot of people pissed off, though, because I saw on This Morning, which is a breakfast chat show here in the UK that is really fun to watch, full of spicy topics, and sometimes they're the kind of topics that are supposed to make you angry because that generates discussion and engagement online. And uh, this topic was, you know, designed by some production assistant who got a pay rise that day. She's been promoted. 2024, now you're officially on the writing team. It was about celiacs. Someone called in uh, and they asked for advice from a guest presenter, Vanessa Feltz, a woman that I love very much. We all love Vanessa. She's opinionated. She's strong. She's a mother. She's, um, she's great. And I, I love that she's authentic in her advice and in her responses and in her daily life. And she's transparent. If Vanessa had a facelift or a fake ass or a chin implant, she would tell us about that. God bless her for it. So the caller said, uh, I have guests coming for Christmas. One of them is very severely celiac, and they have asked that the entire Christmas dinner be gluten-free to accommodate this one guest. 
And Vanessa said, uh, no, that's ridiculous. It's not as though it's a peanut allergy. Uh, celiacs, obviously, if you don't know what celiac is, it, it presents, it manifests as an allergy, but really it's an autoimmune condition where the immune response is, uh, not, you know, instigated and attacks its healthy cells and organs and chiefly small intestine when it comes into contact with gluten. You produce, I think, this antibody. I forget what the name of the antibody, but like broadly, that's what celiac is. And she said, no, that's ridiculous. You can make one thing for the celiac person, but you can still have your other things. Like to expect every guest to have gluten-free in this instance is ridiculous. Have some gluten-free options for the celiac and have some whatever else you want to make for the people who aren't celiac. That should be fine. And the celiacs kicked off because I have learned that celiacs are the most humorless demographic in the entire universe. Already, there'll be celiacs absolutely furious about what I'm saying. They have already started composing their social media things, their emails. They're like, no, you got it wrong, Catherine. That's actually not what celiac is. Celiac is a little bit different. No, it's not. Like, I've broadly explained what it is. And Vanessa Feltz has given a very uh, measured response to this caller's query. I have loads of celiac in my family. My dad is celiac. My little sister, Carrie, is very severely celiac to the point that her body was so malnourished from the damage to her small intestine as a baby that she lived in. She was an inpatient at Toronto Sick Kids Hospital. At 11 months old, she weighed the same as she did at four months old. So she was starving from undiagnosed celiac. I know that it is very serious. That's how serious Carrie has celiac. She also has a host of other autoimmune diseases. I've spoken about it before. I have lupus, probably other autoimmune diseases, and I do have celiac. How do you know you have celiac? Because I tested positive for celiac, do I need a small bowel biopsy to confirm that? No. With my family history and the positive blood test, I don't. I just look at me. I look like the poster child for celiac. Well, you can't see what celiac looks like. Shut up. You have to have a sense of humor about yourself. It is absolutely key to living a, a low anxiety lifestyle. I get that celiac sucks for you. I understand the damage that it can cause. And in someone like me, I wouldn't have an immediate reaction to gluten the way my sister Carrie would. Loads of autoimmune diseases manifest themselves differently in lots of sufferers. But um, I have almost like silent celiac where there is damage if I eat gluten, I just can't see it. I think uh, that a lot of my miscarriages, my missed miscarriages were due maybe to um, untreated celiac. And uh, anyway, my autoimmune response was on high alert. And that's one of the things that now I observe and respect very carefully, because I do know that even if you can't see the damage of celiac, there is damage being done. If you eat gluten, the only treatment is to stay away from gluten for the rest of your life. I get it. But guys, a celiac person can still walk past a Greg's. You know that. A celiac person can go to a Christmas dinner and have their own very strictly gluten-free stuff and have a very low risk of cross-contamination, keep it away from the other stuff. I'm not saying like use the same rolling pin that you used for your white flour mince pies. I'm not saying like just separate a bit of the noodles. No, I understand that you need different pots and pans and different areas so there's no cross-contamination. You could treat it as seriously as a kosher kitchen. Treat it with that level of fastidiousness. But you know for a fact 
that if you are given a gluten-free meal and you stay away from the gluten products, you are not going to have a bad reaction. And there's no reason to ruin someone else's Christmas. Oh, well, Vanessa Feltz is uninformed. She needs to educate herself. Gluten-free food can be delicious. Okay. It can be sort of delicious. I agree with you. There are so many alternatives, but it isn't the same. Don't say it's the same. A gluten-free cake will never, has never been the same. And I enjoy gluten-free cakes. I've made them. Uh, I've bought them from the finest bakeries in London. You know me. The bakery that made Princess Charlotte's birthday cake. Oh, no, it wasn't. It was Meghan and Harry's daughter, Lilibeth. Her birthday or christening or first baby cake, whatever that cake was, that bakery has made gluten-free cakes for me. And guys, they're just not as good as the regular cakes. So don't punish everyone at your Christmas dinner because you have celiac. It's not appropriate. And the level of hate that Vanessa is dealing with during this festive Hanukkah season for her is really inappropriate. And I don't know what I can do. Like celiacs everywhere hate me because of my very cavalier attitude to having celiac myself. They don't believe I have celiac. They don't think I respect celiac. They, they don't, they don't like any jokes or any sort of sense of humor. It's not about you. It's not at your expense. Some of my jokes are like celiac adjacent. You know what I mean? I'm not making fun of you. I'm not trying to minimize the disease that you have. Celiacs, you need to lighten up for your own good because you've got a lot going on in your life. Celiac disease can be difficult to manage. And what makes it even worse is being angry at Vanessa Feltz and me. Beautiful baby Fana Grace celebrated her first birthday this week. I went to Bobby's local golf course. It's just so nice. And they have a beautiful function room there where I have tried to have birthday parties for Violet, but it's been booked up. Luckily, they had availability on the Sunday of uh, Fana's birthday. And I hired it out. I was so grateful to get the space. And then I had a separate company come and install loads of soft play. Um, I, I guess I could tell you the company. It's called Dancing Cubs. You can find them on Instagram. They were wonderful, really easy to deal with. They came and did the setup and tear down and everything else. It was smooth and seamless. They had these really cool little roller coaster cars that you can actually buy one for your house, your, your garden. It's a really cool game. They built slides. They had lots of safe mats and they had soft play to climb in. It was wonderful. The kids loved it. Fena doesn't have very many friends. She's only been on the planet for one year but everybody had a ball and we had beautiful cakes and some nice food from the golf club. And I thought to myself, when I get to a level of fame and fortune, because you know, I haven't had goals in a while, career goals. I've just thought about getting through the day, making it through the night. How many hours of sleep will I get before someone's awake crying? And I haven't really thought about, about work or money or anything else, like because I've achieved more than I ever thought that I would. But now I have a new goal in mind. Now my goal is to reach a level of fame and fortune where I can permanently, in every function room of every golf course in the world, install soft play. Why? Because that will ruin the lives of golfers. I saw a few golfers coming in from their match and they looked through the window into the function room and the sheer panic and fucking horror on their face was a, a picture of beauty for me. They were thinking, what, what? Oh no, there's a soft play at my oasis. Is my wife going to come here? Are my children going to find me? Is my wife going to maybe ask me to take the children g -g -g golfing with me? And I'm going to have to spend two hours in a freaking soft play before I tee off? Yes, bitch. If I have anything to say about it. 2034, that is the year that 
every golf club will be <laughs> appropriated by my soft play vision of the future. I'm not going to have anyone working there. They'll be like, it's not a drop off. No, 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 no. It is a stay and play, daddy daughter soft play experience. And it will make golf clubs a welcome place for the whole family. Because guess what? We pay for a family membership at two golf clubs. Do I golf there? No. Am I enjoying cocktails there in the members bar with the girls like I intended? No, because there's like five Chinese women who are members and me. And I don't know them and they don't talk to me. And so what I need to do now is like just set my eyes on like making it a family friendly place. And you know what else? I don't have a problem with actual golf. I agree it's the language of business. I think that it's becoming more inclusive all the time. You see lots of different age groups and ethnicities and loads of fashion brands like getting into golf. Golf's cool because of Tiger Woods. Even though Tiger Woods isn't that cool. He's kind of a prescription drug addict who cheated on his wife. But he's like shiny and blasian as he calls himself. And he's got a lot of people interested in the sport from like a young hip-hop perspective. Bobby looks cool when he golfs. He looks fresh. I really feel like if kids were raised in that environment, if like lots of kids went to the golf course, then maybe Violet would look out the window and, you know, see all the cool golf being golfed. And she might be more interested in the sport herself. I think it would be wonderful if Violet golfed. I think it's five hours outside. It's a beautiful walk. A walk spoiled, Oscar Wilde said, and I agree. But that's because I wasn't raised in a soft play in a golf course. If I was, and an actual match of golf was a hop, skip, and a jump away from like a place where I'd got comfortable eating chicken fingers and hanging out with my friends my entire infancy, then maybe I would golf. If anyone wants to invest, hit me up. Telling everybody everything at gmail.com. Be part of my vision for the future, a better future, where golf is ruined for dads. This week, there's some very sad news coming in from Canada. Your hero and mine, Celine Dion. Her sister Claudette tells a French-Canadian news outlet, translated in very broken English, that Celine, quote, no longer has control of her muscles due to her ultra-rare case of, quote, stiff person syndrome. I'm almost positive that she probably said something that's a turn of phrase of colloquialism in Quebec that's lost in translation, though. People who suffer from stiff person syndrome, S. P.S. can turn sufferers into human statues, leaving them struggling to walk or talk. The condition, which is thought to affect just one in a million people, can also lead to spasms that generate enough force to fracture bones. I did not even know that your own muscles are strong enough to fracture your own bones. Like, what the fuck is that? Usually, patients are diagnosed around age 30 to 50, and they are mostly women. Of course, women, we get turned into human statues. They try to do that to us when we don't have SPS. You know, like, well, you're a little bit too loud and you're a little bit too much and you're a little bit too smart and you're a little bit too tall. Could you just be like smaller and skinnier and nicer and gentler and quieter? Actually, ladies, you know, this isn't work. Could you all just get some very rare disease that affects your gender only, where you actually turn into a full statue, like a model, basically. The French word for model is like statue, isn't it? I forget what it is, like personnage? What is it? My French is so bad now. Oh, it's it's mannequin, or like man, man, I don't know how to say it, mannequin, like mannequin, 
basically, or model. Like sometimes I say the model, but that's not the real word. Like I grew up learning mannequin. Oh, she's a mannequin. What? And like you've taken our best now. Celine Dion is our best. And it just breaks my heart. I know she uh, announced a while ago that she was stopping her tour and that she wasn't well and we didn't really know what's going on. And now the developments are, are this, that she has the stiff person syndrome. I guess one of the silver linings of Celine Dion having stiff person syndrome is that the name is so fucking terrible and Celine Dion is so wonderful that upon her untimely death, though it doesn't say that you definitely die. It says that the life expectancy is from six to 28 years. And that is really wide. I mean, even with lupus, it it gives you like a really wide range of life expectancy. So if you get diagnosed at 50 and you live 28 more years, then you're nearly 80 years old. And how old is Celine Dion? I don't even know. She's, I used to say on stage, she's an entire OJ Simpson prison sentence and a half older than I am. So what, what is that? How to get like eight years or something? Celine Dion's not uh, old, but if she lives another 28 years, then that would be magnifique. And then when her untimely passing happens, it will be renamed Celine Dion syndrome. And then women will be like clamoring to get it because they'll be like, oh, how could I have something so glamorous? It's Celine Dion syndrome. And presumably there will be better treatments for it in the future because currently there's no treatment, though you can have different therapies and things to do to make your symptoms more manageable. Surprise, it is an autoimmune reaction, they think. They say, though the cause of stiff person syndrome remains unknown, researchers suspect it may be caused by an autoimmune reaction. The immune system seems to attack a protein called glutamic acid decarboxylase, GAD, which helps make a substance called gamma aminobutric acid. Apparently you need that. Why do autoimmune diseases impact women so significantly? They really do. The same is true with lupus, and I'm reading right now this amazing book called Pocket Power from The Slum Flower. The Slum Flower is an Instagram account that you should follow, a podcast that you would listen to. It is the stage name of Chidera Ekaru, and she is so smart and funny and talented, and she has a book. It's only 10 pounds. You can get it delivered really quickly on Amazon. I'm looking at it now, and um, you know, I I thought that I was a really strong woman with high self-esteem. But a lot of these things do need to be spelled out in a handy pocket manual. And one of the things that she talks about is resentment. It's like you, you get no prizes for being a nice girl. You just build up loads of resentment. And then guess what? You get stiff person syndrome. These men who like go out and drink a bottle of Crown Royal and fuck their secretary and do whatever they want, they live to be 100 years old. And... You know, last week I was toying around with the idea of becoming a mess because I just feel like if you can't have your partner rise to your level, then you have no choice but to lower yourself to his. And because that's the only way to obtain like equity, to um, have a successful equity in your relationship. And then I thought, well, you know, I'm like a goody two shoes, perfect all the time. I'm going to get drunk and puke in the car. And that wasn't the life for me. But one thing I'm definitely going to avoid in my long, long, long marriage that I hope lasts another 50 years is resentment. Just, it is the poison of life. And you know, we're all making resolutions for 2024. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't, but tis the season 
do this care for yourself. Buy Pocket Power from the Slum Flower. This is not an ad. It's 10 pounds. It's the best 10 pounds you'll ever spend. Let me read you some things. You cannot love men into humanizing you. Patriarchy isn't yours to fix. When you hurt someone, you don't get to decide which version of you they remember. If you collate all the hours in your life that you have spent on fixing men, how different would your life look if that time was instead spent on you? Oppressed people don't have to respond nicely to oppression. There are no rewards for being the nice girl, just resentment for not receiving the reciprocation you deserved. That's what I was speaking about before. God, she's cool and smart, and she's beautiful to look at and fun to listen to. So if you do not have the budget for 10 pounds for this book right now, you can listen to her podcast for free. It's called The Slum Flower. But let's just be the best, strongest, uh, resentment-free versions of ourselves. And what would Celine Dion have to be resentful over? I don't know. I don't know. Her deceased husband uh, meeting her when she was 13? I don't know. I mean, she seemed to love him very much. She has a rigorous touring schedule. But I heard rumors, and I don't know that these are true, that part of the reason for her Vegas residency is that in his life, Renee, and again, this is alleged. I don't have any proof of this. It's just something I heard on the grapevine. I'm spreading gossip now, is that he racked up some sort of gambling debt or like casino arrangement in Vegas that they were like, all right, we'll wipe the slate clean if you can get your wife to do a residency here. And then she was like, pardon? What is this, Rene? I need to do a residency in Vegas with my small children living in a desert? Oh, no. Sacre bleu. And then she got stiff person syndrome. I don't know what happened. But if, if this shit, if autoimmune can get to Celine Dion, I'll tell you who I'd have a gluten-free Christmas dinner for, Celine Dion. And I don't know what the, because some people are gluten intolerant. Some people stay away from it. If gluten, I think it, I think it sort of impacts every autoimmune disease. It's such a shame that there isn't enough research because all these autoimmune diseases, they're said to overlap, but I don't think they overlap. I think they're intertwined. I think some of the things that impact some people's immune response, like it just has different, I don't know, implications. I think all of us should stay away from gluten, basically. Celine Dion included. Celine, come to mind for Christmas, and I will put you in whatever pose you feel most beautiful and powerful in, and I will give you a gluten-free meal, and you and I can talk about our feelings. Like, in my life, I just, I just owe everything to Celine Dion. I love her so much. It's such sad news. Did you know she was unwell? What is the craziest female illness that you've heard about? What is the most insane or random disease or medical oddity that you have ever heard someone suffering from. Let's talk about it next week. You can email me, telling everybody everything at gmail.com. Okay, this news story really tickled me because I love Britney Spears and I love her almost as much as I love Celine Dion. I was trying to explain to Violet the other day, like you have no idea what it's doing to my generation to watch Britney Spears descend into unhinged madness on Instagram. Like, can you... Picture for a minute what you would do at my age if you saw Taylor Swift dancing with like crooked teeth and you don't know how they moved or why and she seems like totally taken advantage of and totally mental and she's wearing the kind of outfits and making the type of no sense and swinging knives around. Like it's difficult for us. I love Britney. I always will. I think what happened to her is going to be studied in textbooks for a century at least. And uh, if this was Taylor, how would you feel? And Violet's like, never happened, would never happen with Taylor. Well, you don't know. 
You don't know. But, but then Britney this week, she did something really clever. She got one over, I think, on Justin Timberlake. And I loved to see the neurons firing in Britney's brain once again, because I don't know half the time if they're asleep or awake. So Justin Timberlake popped his grubby little eel face out from whatever rock he'd previously crawled behind uh, to perform at the opening of new Las Vegas hotspot, the Fontainebleau, smugly offering up, quote, no disrespect before performing the song Crimea River. And we know that at the time there was loads of press around the song Crimea River, oh, oh, uh, being about Britney Spears cheating on him, I think with Colin Firth or someone at the time, or maybe the guy from Limp Biscuit, Fred Durst. I don't remember the details, but it was supposedly about their breakup. And Justin Timberlake was, you know, he came out. Like, their Justin Timberlake at that time could do no wrong. And I really have no problem with Justin Timberlake. But this is a slimy fucking thing to say. When someone's not well and they've just released their memoir that details, you know, lots of trouble and uh, poisonous memories in Britney's life. She talked about terminating a pregnancy with Justin. She talks about loads of things. And he just wasn't this nice guy that we all thought he was. He was involved in the Janet Jackson Super Bowl boob reveal, uh, and she almost lost her career for that, and nothing was said about him. He's the one that removed the little part of her bra that showed almost her nipple. And, like, Americans, they're really weird about sex, especially around Thanksgiving. Like, don't let the turkey see that you're a mammal. And then, like, Janet Jackson, a iconic... Uh, legendary black woman took all of the fallout for that and Justin Timberlake was like fine and then in his breakup with Britney Britney sort of went off the rails and Justin Timberlake was fine and and he's just not the good guy that we thought he was so no disrespect and the new meaning of that song now is just loaded with poison and Britney fired back with an Instagram post saying I'm like this is so petty but I love it so much Psst, I never mentioned how I beat him in basketball and he would cry no disrespect. Oh, Brittany, Brittany, someone's home. You know, sometimes that you might have, and you know, my heart goes out to you if you're navigating this in your family. There are people suffering from dementia and their friends and family members are caring for them and looking after them. And they're just looking for, you know, every once in a while they get a glimpse of who that person used to be. One of my very good friends was looking after his mother and he was brushing her hair and she just stares, you know, she doesn't communicate, really. And he was talking about brushing her hair. And he said to her, you know, he always talks to her. And he said, you look so beautiful. You're so beautiful, mom. And her eyes filled up with tears. And he was like, what the fuck? Like, she, she's here. She can hear me. She's, like, responding. And that moment was so meaningful for him. And he felt, oh, I had her back for a second. Or she communicated with me in her own way. Like, I felt my mom. And, uh... You know, I don't mean to compare Britney Spears to your beloved friends and family who are navigating dementia, but like every once in a while you get this glimpse of a human being and you go, oh my God, Britney. I loved them as a couple. I really did. I, I loved the matching denim. I We weren't big, or maybe it was just, no, it kind of was at the same time, wasn't it? I wasn't interested in the Beckhams. It just wasn't really in my field division. I sort of knew who they were, but I didn't care. Brittany and Justin, though, they were the Beckhams of North America. Like, we loved them. I loved them. I needed them to do well. I needed them to get married. No one had social media, so I only saw them when they would make little public outings, be on a red carpet or get papped doing something. And it just filled me 
with a romantic fantasy of like, I'm going to have a boyfriend one day with a perm who can sing and dance. And I had that and it turned out, you know, he liked boys, but I tried it on and uh, we just all wanted to be Britney Spears. It's just so gross that you get to the, the end of your life as I am. I am in now at age 40 and you think, oh, all of this was bullshit. Like they were navigating the same problems that we were. There was toxicity running through those relationships. Nothing's perfect. Nothing lasts forever. I just feel like how has Justin not thoroughly gotten the hint that Britney has receipts and most of the fandom is on her side? Like, does he think he's just going to get away with this and she'll be placed back under conservatorship? Is Justin Timberlake delusional? Whose side are you on? Who do you like best? Oh my God, sorry. But like, how embarrassing <laughs> if you're my age and you're like, JTT, I love Justin Timberlake. That's the one. I'm still like, you're still wearing his merch. Actually, I, I feel like a no disrespect quote. If I saw a woman rocking like a Justin Timberlake jean jacket, it would have to be ironically in it. Ironically, Justin Timberlake, if he wants to win the respect of like my age group, because... We are also like the first generation of real uh, pop culture feminists. We discovered girl power with the Spice Girls. We're always the Team Britney kind of generation. And so we have to hate Justin now. Even if I think he's very talented, I like his music. I did meet him once. He was perfectly lovely. I'm sure he's a great guy. I saw him on Ashton Kutcher's Punked back in the day when that was allowed to be a show. And the IRS stole his dogs and he cried then too. No disrespect. And I loved him. He really endeared himself to me. But what is he now? He's like a, restaur a restaurateur who wants to do corporates in Vegas and slag off my best friend, Britney Spears. I don't think so. His only hope is relaunching himself ironically to me. And then I, th I could see myself supporting him, but only as a joke. And going to his concerts, but only as a joke. And watching him dance like Usher, only as a joke. Let's listen to some words from our sponsors now. And when we return, I will open the emails. You can always write me an email telling everybody everything at gmail.com. And I will see what you have reached out about this week. Your questions, your dilemmas, your concerns, your advice for other listeners. I love that we've built a little community here. Please write me a letter if you ever want to about any subject. You can follow me on Instagram at Kathbomb. But I see most of the letters in the inbox. So direct your attention there. We'll be right back. Oh, Zempic. Ho, 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 Zempic was a hot topic in the emails this week and on my Instagram page where I posted a little clip of the discussion. Oprah Winfrey has admitted to using the weight loss medication and she has struggled with her body image and her weight throughout her entire career. She is a spokesperson for Weight Watchers, and I feel like this is an extra reason why it's really important for her to be transparent. She also has access to the best celebrity chefs and trainers, and so, I mean, it just shows that even if you have everything that it takes to lead like a balanced, I don't know, to have a positive relationship with food, for a lot of people, it goes much deeper than that, and so I really don't want to minimize anyone's journey with food. And a lot of people wrote to me about how Ozempic liberated them from this disordered eating, like eating in the car or all constantly thinking about food since childhood and being hungry and think about what they could eat, what they should eat, what they shouldn't eat. 
And really, who's to say that diabetics are more entitled to this medication than people with that kind of need for something that liberates them? A lot of people use the word liberated. They felt freedom from this constant cycle of thinking and obsessing over food. I know the argument that diabetics need this medication and that it has been developed for diabetics, but loads of medications have off, off brand or off page, whatever it's called, uses different from what they were intended. Aspirin was not intended for cardiac issues and it's used widely to prevent heart attacks now. My dog Megan is alive today because of Viagra. Megan takes half of Viagra twice a day. Her boners are relentless. No, I mean, it's um doing something with the blood flow in her heart. I don't really understand. Hypertension. And so there are loads of medicines like that that were discovered by accident. Even hydroxychloroquine that I take 400 milligrams every day of for lupus is an anti-malarial drug. So I don't really think the argument is just for diabetics, there's a shortage. Do you know what? Big, big, wealthy corporations trick us into fighting with each other all the time. All the time. It is really the divide and conquer and then jack the price up. Uh, ethos of being American. Don't you think that if prescription, I mean, pharmaceutical companies have an in-demand drug that they are selling for, if you don't have insurance, I'm told $900 in America, that if there's a shortage of that, they're not going to find a way to make more? Like greed fuels every business and especially the pharmaceutical companies in America. There's no such thing as a, oh, there's a worldwide shortage of Ozempic and all these rich celebrities are taking it from diabetics who really need it. Nah, there's enough for the celebrities. I could get Ozempic tomorrow if I wanted it. And I'm not even like an international celebrity. I'm mildly famous on one small island. And so talk to your NHS, talk to your insurance company. Well, don't, don't bother. I mean, they're not listening to you. But rest assured that if the pharmaceutical companies wanted to make more of the shit available, they could. They are the evil here, not your fellow Ozempic users. A lot of people felt really refreshed by the fact that Oprah was being transparent about her use of it. And here is one such letter. Catherine, oh boy, I really appreciated your thoughts on Ozempic and weight loss, and I really related to your own feelings around feeling yourself in your body. As someone who has fluctuated a lot, I've experienced life both as a thin and, quote, fat person. I'm quite tall, 5'10", and I have been as small as 47 kilograms and as big as 130 kilograms. The way I was treated at each end was night and day. I'm now 122 kilograms, mostly gained due to injuries that left me bedridden, PCOS, which took five years to diagnose. There's another issue and insulin resistance, which took another four years to get a test for because my health concerns were constantly met with, guess what? You just need diet and exercise and a personal trainer. At this side, size, I feel both completely invisible and indiscriminately judged. It's wild. I have nothing against Ozempic, but I do think it's important to be transparent about it, and I love that Oprah has been. I feel like shit for not losing weight. Oh no, for so long, because I didn't understand that many people have additional resources for success they weren't talking about. They might have Ozempic, a personal trainer, access to a chef, etc., that made achieving their goals easier. I probably wouldn't have been so mean to myself if I'd understood that. I would love to level out to a weight my body feels more comfortable at, but it's going to take a lot. 
I work with a trainer who's put me on a very specific diet. I eat within a certain calorie range. I need to take a ton of supplements to help with digestion and absorption of food. I work out at certain intensity levels. And at some point, I may need to take something like Ozempic if that isn't working. I loved your thoughts. I appreciate your transparency on all body-related stuff. And this is what we have to be uh, really hyper aware of, I think, is our own uh, unintentional bias. We all have internalized bias that we're not even sure, you know, unconscious bias, it's called. If I ask you to picture a nurse, then a lot of people will picture uh, an either white or in America, like Hispanic woman or like here, I don't, I don't know, I grew up somewhere else. But it's, it's these biases that you form in childhood where in a lot of books I read, I would never picture like a gorgeous 50-year-old white man to be a nurse. That just wasn't in any of my books. It wasn't in any of the cartoons I watched. It wasn't forming the biases that I would take throughout my life and that I would have to actively fight against. Similarly, we do live in a society that rewards thinness. And you don't know what other people are navigating. And I have said before, I feel better thin. The world responds to me better thin. I am in show business. But... I sort of have wrinkles on my face now that I've lost weight after gaining so much weight with Fred taking steroids. And um, for example, I I always compare it to like a fringe, bangs, if you will. I don't look good with a fringe. I shouldn't get a fringe. That's not to say that I think all fringes look bad. I have girlfriends rocking a fringe. They look much better with a fringe than they would without. And the same is true with weight. I have girlfriends who are more curvaceous. That's how they look so beautiful. It suits them. They feel comfortable in their own bodies, great. Not me. I looked weird. I didn't look like myself. It just didn't suit me because it was unnatural because it was brought on by steroids. And if I had an insulin resistance or something else going on where I had to do all the things that you're doing, like you have to eat carefully and you have a chef and you, I don't do any of that. I don't do anything. It is almost 2 PM. I woke up in the morning. I had a coffee without Bailey's. I had a coffee with Bailey's ease up on the judgment. It's almost Christmas. I had leftover Indian food. I had a baby bell cheese. I had half a chocolate orange. And then I came out here to do this podcast. Any trainer in the world would be like, Catherine, are you in some sort of personal crisis eating that stuff? No, it's just like, I eat whatever I want. I'm very lucky that I can do that. I don't work out. And I am so blessed that I don't have any like weird relationship with food. So when I go out into the world, I need to make sure that I'm not contributing to any bias against fat. You know what I mean? Like, oh, she should, nah, nah, nah. it's bullshit. And it's fed to us through every different stream imaginable. You never know what someone else is navigating and you never know what else someone feels comfortable with. Whatever your healthy weight is, what makes you feel good in the world is up to you. And what I definitely don't think is that we should all be taking Ozempic being sick. Like the people that I know who are taking it are sick and they can't eat. And they have a constipation. They have like problems that their stomach doesn't empty as often. I don't really know all the things involved. But basically, if you're taking Ozempic and it's improved your quality of life and you don't have negative side effects that are impacting your quality of life, then go ahead. And then the main consensus from listeners is be transparent about it or don't. I think if you're Oprah, you should be. But if you're just like regular Jan from accounts, you don't know anybody anything. It's your body. It's your life. Just be safe and do what you want. Okay. Catherine, I'm tired of being the breadwinner. 
After 10 years, I'm feeling the burnout of being a, quote, girl boss and the constant provider of my relationship. I met my partner in 2014. We live together. He does a lot more than many spouses do by the way of cooking, waiting on me, house chores, and home renos. We renovated a house together, and he did a stellar job without hiring contractors. We sold the property to be closer to his family. Here's the rub. I pay for everything. He owns nothing that I have not bought for him. He's worked for maybe five of the 10 years we've been together. He's either been on EI, employment insurance probably, or completely without income during the in-between times. When we, meaning I, sold up and headed to his hometown, we spoke about this, and he said that things will change once we moved. I felt that being close to his family, he would be more accountable. Nope. His family are lovely, by the way, and they've been great to get to know. His family sees my effort and they do a lot to recognize my contributions. His sister is my new best friend here, but he remains unemployed, though actively looking for work. I feel like I've become the single parent, though I don't have children. I myself am a successful professional and have landed my unicorn dream job since moving here. Due to life events, I've become self-made and independent, which I feel has worked to my detriment at this point. I feel awful for wanting an out due to money reasons, but at the same time, I can't keep living like this. I've told him this often, and I see him making an effort, but I'm feeling more and more done. I'm ready to send him home to his parents until he pulls himself together and he thought. This is the trouble with being in a partnership is we're taught that we can have equality and that everyone should be bringing something to the table. But it's tricky when the gender earning the money is female because for a long time, the woman would stay home and keep the house and then men would lord that over them in toxic situations, not every situation where they'd say, this is my money, you can't spend my money, I'm not gonna let you take my children. And it became a weird sort of ownership thing. And as a woman who's the breadwinner of my house, like we've, well, we've engineered it like that by choice, but also I'm in a unique situation where I just earn more money than I'm worth, I guess. It just makes sense for me to be the one working and for Bobby to be the stay-at-home parent. I make a point of never ever saying like, I earned this much this month or I have this much. You know, it's, it's definitely ours. Everything is ours. And that's not to say that I don't expect everyone in my house to make a contribution. No one can really make an equal contribution to what I'm doing, which is part of my like foray into like this hypothesis of should I be a mess instead? Because... Uh, when you are a high-performance woman, as you are, and you've got your dream job and you're earning loads of money, and I assume that even though you say your partner cooks and cleans and does all these things at home, that you're contributing to that as well, so you feel like there's an inequity, I think it's important for you to put value on the things that your partner is achieving. So you say that he did all this work in the house. It's annoying because if you hired a contractor to do that, it would have cost money, but if you split up from a contractor, he doesn't get to take half your house and like half your kids. I know you don't have kids yet, but you see what I'm trying to say. There is value in the work that he's been putting into your house. There really is. And I think in modern relationships, maybe you need to spell out exactly what that value is at the very beginning. To, to like add some type of numerical value to it for people that might down the road feel that things are uneven. When you have kids, like if he looked after your kids, if he stayed home and did all that stuff, you wouldn't turn around and be like, you do nothing. 
Um, you would never say that to a woman looking after her children. You'd be like, being a homemaker is a tough job. And actually, they, they have all these memes and videos online that they put together like, oh, 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 housewife actually does three full-time jobs and it would take $90,000 to pay people to do all the things that your stay-at-home mom does. They work 180 hours a week. Like, I've seen all of these memes. Um, that's not always necessarily true of a stay-at-home dad. I mean, I feel like... <laughs> In some cases, maybe they do as much, but largely they have more help potentially than a stay-at-home mom because they're still a mom in many cases. But look, what's happening in your relationship is very poisonous. You are harboring resentment towards this man. You definitely need to sit down and place some, you know, quantify what he's bringing to the table. Air your grievances at Christmas. Do a Festivus. A Festivus for the rest of us, like on Seinfeld, where you hold the pole and you tell him everything that's been pissing you off about him in the year. And just say very clearly, like, listen, I plan on continuing to be very successful in my career. Uh, I don't know if you want children or not. Presumably, you want a future of some kind where you're going to kill it in every avenue. And if you felt, if you truly felt like what he was bringing to the table equaled what you were bringing to the table financially, then you wouldn't even be sending me this email. So it's clear that like, yes, you're pitching in, but it's nowhere near what I'm doing. And I don't think that you're out of line in wanting someone to put exactly what you're putting, however that be quantified. You know what I mean? It could be in childcare. It could be in renovations. It could be in cooking and cleaning, like whatever. It doesn't have to be money. But I just feel like he doesn't have the same zip, get up and go that you have. Should a really successful woman be satisfied uh, in a relationship with a guy who's been like actively, allegedly looking for a job for years and years? He's been unemployed five out of 10 years. Like I had a partner once who was an artist because look, I get it. Times are tough and there aren't enough jobs to go around at the minute. But I want to be with a hustler. And there was a point in my life where we did not have money. And I was not doing my dream job. I was earning a very low wage, working loads of hours, doing something I didn't love. I liked it, but it was hard work. And I have an autoimmune disease on top of it and all these other things, right? Like I was, I was giving my 10 out of 10. And my partner was not, in my opinion, giving his 10 out of 10 because he wasn't doing his dream job. He felt like he couldn't get a job in the creative arts that he envisaged himself worthy of. And uh, so he just sat at home being like, can't get a job. Oh, applied for another job this month. Put all my energy into that. Didn't get it. And he was spending my money all this time. And I very much viewed it as my money because I was like, look, if you were a hustler like I am, you'd be cleaning offices at night. You'd be picking up a barista shift. You would be mopping floors at a Tesco. Like I'm the type of person that there's no shame in that work. Today's mopping floors. Next week, it's the fries. That's who I am. There will be people who get pissed off. Catherine, he's trying his best. Oh, what? I'm unemployed, so I'm not worthy of love. Of course you are. But not by this woman. Because you have different standards. And you have to set standards and commit to those standards and honor your own value system, regardless of whether you love someone or not. Because love is not enough. Love is not going to be enough for a lifetime. You, more than anyone, need pocket power from the slum flower. Chidera Ekaru, you need it today. I'm going to find a passage for you. All right, I found two. I can't go through the whole thing. The kids are up from their nap. I got to get in the house. But these two are pretty good. Ooh, ooh, ooh. 
He should not be pulling up to your life empty-handed if he wants to take pleasure from your body. Maybe this one isn't exactly you. You know, I do like that he's worked on the house, but it's not enough. It's not enough for you, and it's okay for you to have higher standards. A hardworking woman deserves a man who works hard for her happiness. When it comes to deciding which men deserve space in your life, most guys won't make the cut, and you have to accept and trust your observations, no matter how badly you may want to believe otherwise. I'm sorry, like, you need to sit down and have this chat. Maybe he's able to rise to your standards, but if not, you are not a bad person for leaving him. There will be someone to love him. Oh, I have a missed call from my sister, Carrie. I'm just going to ring her and see where she stands on the celiac thing. I should have done that. She's the person to talk to. <clears throat> Hello. Hola. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm well. I'm just doing the podcast, and there's a lovely woman in this country called Vanessa Feltz who uh, has faced controversy this week being insensitive towards celiacs. And I'm thinking, okay. you're the most severe. Like, are there more severe cases of celiac than you, do you think, to your knowledge? I mean, I, to my knowledge, there are, definitely, because I was diagnosed at such such a young age that... It's not a big deal to me. It's probably very severe when people get it to a point that they have refractory celiac disease. And refractory celiac disease is like from eating the things you're not supposed to for a long time? Yes. And then their symptoms, what, just don't go away? Their symptoms, it's, um, it causes uh, more damage to the small intestine. So um, essentially, you can only get that diagnosed with an endoscopic rather than a blood work. Um, and it's long-term like issues with the white blood cells that are in there. It takes about a year on medication to be cured. Well, that's no good. And my, you know, I, uh, the celiac community hates me because, except for you. And I feel like the celiac community is largely humorless except for you. There are exceptions to every extreme statement that I say, but like, do you feel like if you rolled up to Christmas dinner at my house, as you're doing this week, um, do you expect everything at the Christmas dinner to be gluten-free? I don't care if anyone makes anything gluten-free for me. Like, it's not anyone else's responsibility to take care of other people's dietary restrictions. But if there's gluten, like, in my house, is that going to impact your health in some way? Not at all. This is what I'm saying, but I'm sure there are celiacs out there who are like, yes, it will if there's even one speck of wheat anywhere in the central heating, it will find me and get me. Is there celiac like that? I mean, cross-contamination is a thing. It yeah. depends on, like, if you're boiling gluten noodles and then use the same water to boil gluten-free noodles, yeah. then, yeah, there can be cross-contamination there. But I don't think people understand what gluten is. It's the protein. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just, like, anyway, I just don't think people understand what it is. But I was diagnosed at 11 months old. Like, I've lived without it. My husband always makes gluten-free food for me but he'll have a sandwich yeah <laughs> like it's fine. and can you like suck him off after he's eaten a sandwich with no health ramifications to you i mean i've been married for eight years so i wouldn't do that no, but yeah no. I could. who's got the time <laughs> and vanessa felt is jewish so presumably she understands like a kosher kitchen where she wouldn't mix dairy with meat or you know what i mean like Ugh, I just feel like she's getting... I, I just think that if... Listen, with allergies, it's nice that you, like, make things for someone. But if you have a severe allergy like that, either don't eat the things that are gluten because you can see that certain things have gluten in it or bring your own food. Like, 
in our family, we have a vegan, we have a celiac disease person yeah. and like vegetarians and other dietary restrictions. Like, sure, it's nice to have things on the plate that are fine, but you can look at a meal and be like, okay, that turkey's good to go. Yeah. I can have like that turkey there and I can have the mashed potatoes. Like just eat what you can. This is the thing. Like most things are gluten-free unless they're packaged. Like every vegetable, every fruit, if it's not got breadcrumbs or whatever, every meat... Like, everything is available to eat. My mother-in-law is, like, so sweet and tries to make gluten-free things for me. Like, she really does. But I remember one time she made some. It's like, no, um, Carrie can't have that because there's breading on it. And she was like, well, there's bread. There's not flour. Oh, like, no. She comes from a country where there's, like, not any dietary restrictions there. So she's really, like, learned and she really tries. Yeah. But I don't mind if it's – I just won't eat it. I have the palate of a two-year-old anyway. There's only so many foods that I like. So it doesn't really make a difference to me. And I just think the world needs to stop being so offended about everything. This is it. Like, celiacs need to back the fuck down because they're so mean to me. And they're like, Catherine, yeah. Like, one one week I have the audacity to be like, oh, if you are celiac like me and you don't really have symptoms, just never stop eating gluten because then you will have symptoms because I stopped eating gluten for all my pregnancies. And now if I eat it, I am sick. And I had oh, nutritionists. That's, that's what could turn into refractory. I know. Like, I was kidding. Like, I thought it was clear oh, that okay. I was kidding. <laughs> Um, because I liked just not knowing the damage that was happening in my body. Yeah. But now, like, I get sick. And I had very well-meaning, very kind nutritionists reach out and be like, actually. And I was like, listen, I know. And I had loads of celiacs think I'm not celiac. And it's like, chill. I don't have to be celiac exactly like you to be celiac. We're a family, guys. Listen, there's classic, there's non-classic, there's refractory, like there's different forms of it too. At the end of the day, it's an autoimmune disease. Autoimmune diseases always have the ability to go into remission. Here's the bad news for the celiacs listening, is that you probably have other autoimmune diseases that you don't even know about, so welcome to the jungle. Actually, celiac disease and asthma go hand in hand. I had a doctor tell me that. Shit. Well, they all do. They all overlap. Anyway, one day our children and our grandchildren will know like what autoimmune was. But not today. Here's what we have for Christmas dinner. Tell me what you're interested in and what you're not. Bobby has requested a honey ham with three different kinds of mustard. Down. I want all the mustard. That's all he wants. He's like, one large honey glazed ham with three mustards. I was like, fine. So I got all that. Um, I've got cauliflower cheese. I'm going to make regular mashed potatoes, potatoes, dauphinoise. Brussels sprouts with bacon, Brussels sprouts with chestnuts for grandmother. I've got vegan mm. stuffing. I've got pork stuffing. I've got gluten-free stuffing. I'm not interested in stuffing. If you're making gluten-free stuffing, count me out. Count me in. Good. More for me. Okay. And I've got a medley. Oh, Alan just said he can help you cook. Help me cook. <laughs> well, guess what, Alan? You're cooking and I'm not helping. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine just said... What I meant by that menu she just is got all the ingredients. Yeah. Um, I can, however, make a lot of holiday cocktails because I've been inspired on the gram to make them. I can make holiday cocktails. I miss bartending. I can't drink them, but I can make them. I've got cranberries. I've got loads of chocolate. I've got uh, loads of white wines, the hangover free one that I found on Akado. And uh, what else did I get? Oh, and a beef, like a beef joint, like a, you know, I don't really know. Beef yeah. filet thing. I don't know. Bobby mm-hmm. said grandmother would make that. 
Uh, basically all the hits. No misses. All the hits. All right. All well, I gotta no go. Misses. I gotta go finish the questions. Too. Have a great day at work. <laughs> Love you. Bye. Bye. I can't wait to bully her into a facial. When she gets here, here is the next letter. Gotta go back to the emails. Catherine, should I go to my <laughs> should I go to my childhood bully's funeral? I mean, if you want to feel good about yourself, like if you if you've been playing the long game, I find myself in a confusing situation and I need some help. A girl from my hometown and someone who I grew up with recently passed away. She had been suffering a lot with mental health problems and a recent schizophrenia diagnosis and unfortunately found things too difficult. Looking back on our childhood, I wasn't the easiest, oh, it wasn't the easiest or obvious to tell that she'd been suffering from an early age, but she did become the classic bully at our school. She used to torment me, push me down the stairs, throw rocks at me, spit in my food on a daily basis. This was between the ages of 7 to 14. We never got along, and my parents and family said, oh, she's just a classic bully and it will go away. With the recent passing away and setting a date for the funeral, a lot of my classmates are asking if I will be traveling back. I'm not really sure what to do. Thinking about her still makes me sad. However, people from home keep saying, that was 10 years ago and she was suffering inside. Get over it. The right thing to do is turn up. I'm from a small town where the community tends to band together whenever there are tragedies or issues. What do you think I should do? I recently listened to your episode where you advised someone that if something between people happened five, 10 years ago, etc., you should just make peace with it and move on. However, the idea of going to this funeral just doesn't sit with me. It wouldn't feel genuine. It's got me feeling guilty about not going, too, and not being a better person. What can you advise? Well, you feel bad either way. <clears throat> I would advise don't go anywhere for anyone if you don't want to go. This woman is dead. So you're not helping her by going. You're just sort of making up appearances, which is what I hate about a small town. Like, people are so concerned with what everyone thinks oh like everyone knows everyone everyone's looking at is so-and-so here that's why when our parents when we go back for Christmas not necessarily my parents but certainly my dad you go back home to a small town at Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever and your parents are such gossips they'll be like oh well did you hear auntie Joni's son has been no it's not my business mom like it nobody cares that so-and-so is now a crackhead or so-and-so got pregnant by like the gardener. I, like the moms become such gossips because their little small town is like Hollywood and they are the media. Like they just love it. And that's very tribal to gossip about people that we know in common. That's why I do it about Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears. I feel like you and I, those are our friends. We know them. We have them in common. It's a very unifying but very petty pastime. But tribes have been doing this for generations millennia and um you don't have to go there because it isn't for her and it isn't for you necessarily if it's just going to make you feel sad but having said that i think it might make you feel better i don't know you but if there's pressure to go you're not going to get another chance to attend this woman's funeral unless we're living in a soap opera you might go there and everyone being together, you know, to, to talk about this woman, who knows what her family and her closest friends are going to say and what else might be revealed about her struggle. You might be able to put this to rest with her life and have real true empathy toward what this girl was going through. This little girl, this seven-year-old 
who bullied you. You know, your inner child doesn't have resolution, which is why this still makes you so sad. And if your inner child can meet with her inner child through the stories that her family will be telling about the good moments with her, you're going to be like, God, this could have been me. Like I was bullied. I was pushed down the stairs and that sucked for me, but I should look to God and be grateful that I was not plagued with tormenting mental illness like she was. And aren't I lucky that I had the strength to shoulder, you know, the the brunt of this bully's, pro, you know, whatever, outward anger. But she, what she was dealing with in her head must have been so much worse. And I think you might be surprised what you find at this funeral for yourself, for your own closure, you know? I would never suggest that anyone should go to any funeral for the deceased. That person is not at their funeral. That person is in the universe or whatever, wherever you go. And I wouldn't go for your neighbors or your friends or your family either. They don't need you there to support them. It's not like I would really need you to be there. My husband's dead and you're my best friend. I need a shoulder to cry. And it's not that. It's all about like petty, keeping up appearances in your small town. I don't like that. But you might find closure and it just might be easier for you afterwards. So, I mean, like personally, I would suggest that you go and that you think about those things. Guys, it's Christmas. Oh, fuck off. This is the end of the podcast and I've got an email. Shouldn't everything be closed by now? I'm sorry for that unprofessional ping. I could cut it out, but I prefer just to be very transparent, like Oprah on Ozempic. Thank you so much for listening. Have a very merry holiday, whatever you're doing. Um, In that little period before New Year's, between Christmas, you know, when there's nothing to do but go to the pub, Let's be grateful that we can go to the pub. We're not in a pandemic this year. Um, I hope that everyone drinks responsibly so you're not puking in your car. Thanks for all the messages about that. Um, I will be releasing another podcast next week, so I'll be around. I'm also going to be on Christmas Blankety Blank and the Big Fat Quiz on Boxing Day alongside my teammate, Rosie Jones. We have lots of new things coming out in the new year that I'm excited for you to see and hopefully enjoy. And I will see you before the new year. So uh, write me letters if you're bored over the holidays. Telling everybody everything at gmail.com. You can still gift my book, The Audacity, to someone if you don't have it already. But I mean, this week's episode is really dedicated to pocket power from the slum flower. Get that. Know your worth and act on it. Have a very Merry Christmas. Bye-bye.